You're listening to TWN Champions, episode 34. Champions, arise! Welcome to the Champions Countdown Podcast, where we summon heroes from across space and time to populate our intergalactic museum, or something like that. This is episode 34. I'm Rebecca, and with me is the village crone who harbors a terrible secret about the orphanage. It's Will. Don't look in them closets. (laughs) Oh, Oh no, Sister Agnes. I don't know why your name is Agnes. Uh, yeah, so uh, we're not harboring any deep secrets over here. It's just, uh, you know, springtime. It's not crone season, but it will be in due yeah, time. I finally did empty all the gas out of the lawnmower again. I don't know how that's supposed to happen. I don't know how they think. They always tell you you have to get the gas out of the mower. You could tell I'm stressed out about this. I feel like I talk about this every time, but I did get the gas out. and so Listen, it's a high-stakes situation, okay? And I'm not ready to just hand over full control to a neighborhood boy. You know? Yeah, and sometimes we try to, and then they and then they won't call you back and like, well, that's no way to run a business, and then I won't use them. <laughs> Young man. And then sometimes yeah. yellow jackets take over the yard, and then you're like, I don't want a child to die in my yard yeah. like my girl. Yeah, that's right. And therefore, we just got to, you, you got to take it on the, the shoulder, and you got to be the one to go out there yeah, and if, risk your life for the If my lawnmower runs over his glasses that are in the yard, it probably <laughs> won't be able to handle it either. You'll yeah. just hear the horrible wailing. We've got a lot of strange divots and concrete protrusions, like old alien relics and stuff in the yard. So I, I can't oh, be yeah, responsible they, they, for that. There's some stuff under there. There's some stuff to unearth in the yard if, yeah. if one cared to. Remember, t- remember the time the male uh, lady left me a mean note about how the elevation changes in the yard and I was responsible for the contours of the earth? Yeah, <laughs> that was kind of weird. <laughs> yes. That was kind of odd. It's like I don't, I don't know what you think you're dealing yes, with here. I will, but I will begin the terraforming for you immediately. Yeah, here on planet Earth, uh, <laughs> the ground goes up and down. Sometimes it goes up, sometimes it goes down. I'm sorry. <laughs> we don't know why. <laughs> and also, let me be clear: this is not the kind of neighborhood where people have like perfectly planed and manicured yards. Yeah. I guess uh, some pe- some people are into their yards. We but have this a lot is- of uh, frosting and thawing that. Make some elevation changes. Yeah, it happens. This, it happens. this is not I'm this sorry. is not a neighborhood of like super beautiful yards. Yeah, and we're so good about the sidewalks and everything. So anyway, well, we got a new male person. Princess Stephanie. Well, that was her name because <laughs> she did sign the note. She signed her dirty work. Um, I don't think it's our mail carrier so anymore. Either. I don't think so. Stephanie couldn't hack it at the U.S. Postal Service. She was just like <laughs> Princess in the P. She's just like, this truck, there's a P under the seat and the floorboards. And they're like, you're right, Princess Stephanie. Let me promote you to counter clerk where you can very slowly tell people to fill out forms for the rest of your life. And then they can stand four deep in a pandemic line. We will all die. Mother, tell you to- not to look my way Tell your children not to hear my words What they mean, what they say Mother 
took a turn for the fanciful and morbid. I love it. Uh, with, that, <laughs> with that in mind, what are we talking about today? On today's show, we're going to count down our personal favorite takes on the mother archetype. And, and you probably are guessing, you know, some of mine, you might argue with me are a stretch, but they're fun. I think it's going to be a fun list. I'll have four good ones and Rebecca will have four. Okay, and it will be a top eight. And it will be a top eight, yes. And then also, I guess it's worth mentioning we're doing this because Mother's Day is coming up. Mm-hmm. All right. And before we even get into the, the, the whys and the wherefores, let me just preface this by saying that I think you can expect, if you've listened to this podcast at all, that we are not going to have a super romanticized view of mothers. <laughs> you know, this is not, I mean, you know, if you are, if Mother's Day is a date that is difficult or fraught for you, as it is for many of us then don't feel like you got to skip this one because it's like, oh, they're just going to talk about how the mom and little women was so noble and self-sacrificing. No, no. It's a fun one. It's, it's a, a, fun, it's a one. fun one. There are aliens, okay? I think you could have guessed that. <laughs> but with that in mind, for our context, for our purposes, for our background, give us a little background here on the, on the mother trope. Mother's Day, as we know it, comes mostly from a woman named Anna Jarvis. So it was like one person who kind of spearheaded it. And she was inspired by the life of her own mother. Her mother had 13 children, but only Anna and four others survived. And this was in the late 1800s when child mortality was really high. Good night, that's rough. Yeah, so her mother, uh, in addition to dealing with that, had organized these women's groups to promote friendship and women's health in her community. And if that didn't make enough of an impression, one time Anna reportedly heard her mother say, quote, I hope and pray that someone sometime will found a memorial Mother's Day commemorating her for the matchless service she renders to humanity in every field of life. <laughs> the mother will say that about herself? <laughs> of, all of all mothers, mothers, but it may benefit her if it happens <laughs> to come to pass. I just may be a very good mother. Yes, yeah, if you're going to think about that, if it makes an impression on you for the rest of your life, so be it. And so anyway... My self-sacrifice. I was just wondering if at that mother's group, they probably had, they were, like, I feel like they should have been giving each other some better contraceptive advice. Well, I think they were. Or, well, I don't know about that. You know they would have tried to, but then also they would have just, like, had completely wrong ideas, maybe, because that's how she had 13 kids. Her brother was a doctor, and so a part of the reason for that group was she had him come give, like, medical advice, I think, to improve outcomes and health of the women. So she was, like, serious about it she's like i wouldn't know anything about this with my 13 kids but i heard yes <laughs> so anna pretty much had no choice but to start mother's day basically because of that speech and all the stuff her mom did so she drew on her advertising background to build up the event locally but also wrote to politicians until every state was celebrating it and president woodrow wilson made it a national holiday in 1914 and this is every second Sunday in May, by the way, if you f- happen to forget, like, I have to Google a lot. But the story doesn't quite end there because Anna was very angry for the rest of her life that the flower business, Big Flower, <laughs> was making bank on the holiday. Those jerks, how dare they? She had lost control of it and didn't want it to be so commercial. So as soon as it started, she was mad about Hallmark holidays. That is really funny. 
And yeah, that kind of, I mean, I I feel that we've given our fair share of money to 1-800-Flowers.com. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, and you know what? And this, I think- this year it'll be, it'll be to um, Home Depot or Lowe's because my mom's trying to ship lap every square inch of her home. <laughs> yeah, your mom's, she's into some projects right now. She has a pink drill. Which is, which is great. But yeah, okay, so from the very beginning then, what was like, Mother's Day has become too commercial. Yes. Oh, so from the very beginning, she was like, like, if you're not making your mom a macaroni art, then you're doing it wrong. Oh, she did stuff like she sent like 800 carnations to her mother's old church and stuff like that. Oh, isn't that lovely? <laughs> okay, so but but yeah, was is it, anything else we need to say about mothers? Um, I think one of the things we might look out for are um, that, you know, mother is a role regardless of whether they're related to you or not. Well and so said. I think I think we'll see lots of different types 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 of mothers with uh, to that effect. Okay, I, I can get into that, and then I would just wrap it up by saying that uh, uh, I'm really into the conception of mothering, or like, okay, we we always tie like motherhood to the earth. And uh, we always think of the earth as being like both female and a mother, which uh-huh. is, you know, it's just weird, but that's how we do, whatever. And I like to think of it that way in that the earth is a primal force, but we don't expect the earth to be nurturing. The earth does give us life, but uh, it can also easily and happily take it away from us or suck it out of us. The earth is wild, okay? It's a lot of power this it mother is has. Of, it is a lot of and power. And sometimes and you can use it to, to nurture or you can use it to control or... That's it, right. It just depends. I just feel like we would all sleep easier if we didn't expect so much from our mothers. <laughs> and I'm not saying that as a personal statement. I'm just saying, like, culturally, there is a whole lot of feelings packed in that. And let's just think of them as mother We need Earth. to think of people as, as, as persons. Okay, well, with all that in mind, do you want to start us off with your first pick? Number eight. It's Metroid! But that's impossible! There's no more power! On the contrary! You're naivest! In a short while, I will have supreme power! As ruler of Video Land! What have you done with Captain N? Why, I walked him home, of course! I'm so glad you said what you said before you went into this because I think that is a perfect example of my first pick. This is a mother with countless obedient children spread throughout the universe. In some stories, she's the charismatic leader of bumbling henchmen. This is Mother Brain. Mother Brain. Welcome home, Captain N. The main villain Yay. from the Nintendo Metroid series and the cartoon villain from Captain N, the Game Master. <laughs> all right. Yes, of course. This is who we all think of when we think of Mother. You said we were going to talk about aliens and you knew it was going to happen. Of course I knew it was going to happen. <laughs> what, what, of course, of course. Yes, let's talk about Mother Brain. Mother Brain is always the main boss in the Metroid video games. She's basically a giant brain in a jar. In most stories, she's an artificial intelligence that controls all the activity on planet Zebes, and so she commands the space pirates and the jellyfish Metroid creatures. So, so that is her 
you know, back of the cardboard box toy description. You may also know her as the main villain from the Saturday morning cartoon, Captain N, the Game Master. They had a lot of weird production issues with that show, but it was a cool concept. Uh, It's about a teenage kid, Kevin, who gets sucked into the video game world, as foretold by a prophecy. And he helps good video game characters fight the bad ones. And the bad guys are led by Mother Brain. But here's where it gets interesting. In the cartoon, Mother Brain isn't the cold calculating AI. She is a brain in a jar, but she has a face. It's like eyes with eyeshadow and a mouth on a stretch of fascia. And the brain is kind of like her hair. And, <laughs> That's a good look. And she's very loud and charismatic, and she's always yelling at her minions, Eggplant Wizard from Kid Icarus, King Hippo from Punch-Out, and Dr. Wily from Mega Man. Eggplant Wizard is a very good minion. That was upsetting to have your head <laughs> and whole body become an eggplant. I think we can, I can speak for us all when I say no one wants that to happen. Yeah! Yeah, show what great actors we are, King Hippo. Okay, but yeah, so she commands everybody in the in the this universe, in the video game universe. Yes, the and, baddies. And do you did you watch the show? And do you remember her voice? Well, I feel like we've talked about this recently. I don't remember it personally, but I, I remember us talking. Did was it not like um, the voice actor was like a Motown singer? Yeah, that's that's right. So her voice, um, she it's a she, but her voice is kind of like an impression of Little Richard. And with you out of the way, that will be very easy. And the producers... Which, I mean, that's just a brilliant acting move. It is a good move. Um, we, we talk about this all the time with voice acting, how it's like you just do an impression of somebody. And, you and can, it'll be kind of yours. And it'll be yours because it's like, oh, well, this is... Um, I'm sorry, what was the voice actor's name? I don't... Uh, it's Levi Stubbs, and I'll talk about Okay, him. yeah. You know, he's just like... I'll do an impression of Little Richard, and this is going to be Mother Brain. That's brilliant. Those are three brilliant little elements (laughs) right there together. Um, And it makes sense because they wanted the show to be more comedic than dramatic. So this is a great way to have a very confident villain who is also funny. And it was the coolest thing that they got Levi Stubbs to do it. And if the name doesn't ring a bell, he was the lead singer for the Motown group, The Four Tops. And they did that great song, Standing in the Shadows of Love, among, among a lot of others. And you might also know him as Aldry too, the carnivorous plant from Little Shop of Horrors. And he's, oh, yeah, Phoebe Seymour. Yeah. So uh, he just found a second career after his Motown career as a voice actor in the 80s, like 20 years later. That probably would have been a pretty fun transition. There is some good videos of him doing uh, the Audrey 2 song live. And um, and when when you listen to his songs, it's almost like he was made for theatrical singing because he often has these breakdown parts where he does like a very uh, stagey sing-talking part before he goes to the chorus. It's just like he likes the theater of it. So it, it kind of made sense, I think. And also, when you think about how fun it is that they picked that voice for Mother Brain, you might think, like, where did that come from? I wonder if it's because the producers of all the Nintendo shows were just really into old rock and roll at the time. Oh, I'm sure. Because if you do you remember in the Mario cartoon, the original run, they would put in stuff like that, like, when Mario got the flower, they would play Great Balls of Fire and stuff like that. So 
I don't know. I, maybe that they they sort of they had something to do with why he did the little Richard thing. I don't know. Yeah, and if nothing else, there was like a really deep and abiding nostalgia for rock and roll era and then Motown era songs when we were kids. Because, oh, I guess that's because true adults too. were like, "Hey, remember the songs?" And and they were like, "Yeah." Um, which is a little bit sad because I feel like young people today are not getting the exposure to like Motown like they should. And doesn't Barry Gordy have like a third grand, great grandson or not third great grandson, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, I feel like we need to like revive that. I feel like there's got to be some talent out there. I was just thinking that like a uh, like a, a new new edition Neo Motown boy group would kill it right now. I and think I'm the closest pretty- we have is something like the weekend or ish. Yeah. yeah or or maybe we get like, um, you know, Donald Glover will do like a Marvin Gaye thing every now and then, but yeah. And they're both pretty old at this point. Yeah. I mean, you know, like, well, like we, in, in terms of like exposing new audiences to stuff, like, I feel like there's gotta be some dumb, like 19 year old kid. I oh, say dumb, right. but, but just some for the teens, but yeah, for like the, for our the American youngs. bandstand. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm just, I'm waiting for that. I'm just going to put that out there. Somebody with a lot of money and time on their hands, please put together this group. You will make a ton of money. The, the moment is right for it. Um, and then to tie it back to Mother Brain, the character, I I would just argue that she is a mother because she nurtures the whole planet and all its creatures, and the Metroids are like her little children. And I love a brain in a jar, so here we are. <laughs> we don't have to think any harder than that. Captain Ian is in our home, and I always treat my guests with respect before I destroy them. <laughs> Number seven. Where's the bathroom? Where's the bathroom? I need to use the bathroom. Tell me that you have a bathroom in this hovel you call home. I don't know which was bumpy or the plane ride or the taxi. All these freeways are a nightmare. Where's my purse? I need my car. All right, at number seven, I give you my first entry into the countdown, which is Naomi Bunch. The mother of protagonist Rebecca Bunch from CW's criminally underwatched 2015 to 2019 show, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. All right. Okay. All right. So we've done this show, this podcast, for a while, and uh, it's just going to devolve into TV recommendations at this point, because I just (laughs) feel like at this point, if we haven't already hit something, then I just feel like there's probably some stuff that I just think you should watch. And I think this is this falls into the category of like a great character and a show that I think did not get its time in the sun. And I just want to remedy that or do my part, okay? I feel like they had trouble knowing how to brand that because uh, watching it as a dude, I found it very funny. And there was a lot that I liked about it, especially the uh, creepy... Uh, ex-boyfriend Trent. He was I so love funny. God, that guy should be in everything. I, he should be in everything. But anyway, it was very, it was it is a really good show. It is a really good show, and I think you're right about the branding being confusing because it was just for the whole time it was on a critical darling that had terrible ratings. Cause also this is just a bad time for cable. Like yeah. nobody's going to like, Oh, let me make an appointment to watch something on the CW. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. We, it really thrived we, on Netflix. It's yeah. It's audience is like a Netflix audience. So technically it's a musical comedy series. Um, about a young woman who leaves a lucrative but exhausting job at a New York law for- firm. And she trades it for a life in California in the town where her old boyfriend, Josh Chan, lives. So they, she sees him on the street, they have a brief interaction, and she just decides, you know what, I'm unhappy and I'm going to move to California. 
And there are a lot of things on the surface that I feel like might put you off of this show if you're not a musical person or a Broadway person. Which I am not. Which you're not. And and um, I don't know. I, I can see how on the surface there might be things that would not sell you on the show. That would be one of them. There are musical numbers in every episode. They're fantastic. And a lot of them were, um, or most of them, were at least co-composed by Adam Schlesinger, of Fountains of Wayne, um, Stacy's mom, that mm-hmm. guy, who had a really amazing career as a um, composer for television until, unfortunately, he passed away from freaking COVID last year, uh-huh. which was just like a really sad and tragic loss. But, you know, his stamp is all over this show. A lot of the musical numbers are really, really funny and catchy. They did win at least one Emmy, finally. But even if you're not into that, you know, you might be like, oh, what's this bubblegum show with like edgy humor? Because there's a lot of like romance and sex gags in the show, which might also not be your cup of tea. But if you think that's the whole show, you're very wrong. It actually becomes this really, really wonderfully well done exploration of mental illness, basically. Um, and you're like, how do we get there? You definitely do get there. And and um, it's also a show that dares to have a very flawed but likable protagonist. And I think a lot of people are also put off by the fact that like the protagonist is not always a great person mm-hmm. or maybe ever a great person. But there's still the main character was like, but there's supposed to be a good guy. And I think a lot of people just can't hang with all that. Yeah, but she but she's likable or you get behind them because she uh, works hard. Like you see the effort she puts into her, the conviction she has, even if she's not likable, it's hard not to support somebody like that. Yeah, someone with such clear goals. Yeah. And her goal, she decides that, you know, she's going to be with Josh Chan because that was the last time in her life that she was happy. And of course, as the series goes on, there's all kinds of uh, changes and and we come to find out more about her and why she is the way that she is and her backstory. Okay, we get it. Now, adding to this is my entry on this list here, the dynamic between her and her mother, who is... um, Naomi Bunch and she's played by Tova Feldsha and she doesn't show up nearly enough in the series but when she shows up it's great and she's in there frequently enough to where they do have a really nice character arc for her. I wanted to pick her because um, this is an interesting entry to talk about the uh, Jewish mother stereotype. Uh The overbearing Jewish mother. I was actually kind of like fascinated about like, well, where does this come from? Because the show certainly utilizes some of those stereotypes. The first time we see her, she's barging into Rebecca's apartment and singing a song, criticizing everything in the apartment, Mm -hmm. like all the decor and how rough her trip was and everything she's doing wrong in her life. And um, I mean, it's just hysterical. And we do gradually see more of Naomi and we sort of see the way that she is as the show progresses, but they are definitely not afraid to play into those stereotypes. So um, I was, I was actually interested in learning and it seems that the overbearing Jewish mother stereotype comes from the Jewish diaspora. And it's a very, I don't think it's an exclusively American thing, but it's, it is a largely um, American thing because it came from the shtetls, the European shtetls. So according to Wikipedia, a possible origin of the stereotype came from uh, Margaret Mead's research. 
And um, she did some interviews at Columbia University who were, you know, talking to a bunch of European-born Jews who came to the U.S. as immigrants and their whole um, experiences in the communities that they built. And apparently it was definitely part of those immigrant communities for mothers to worry excessively over their kids because they were sacrificing working trying really, really hard to assimilate into a new country and to make a better life for their kids, right? And then um, in another article, I read that that sort of conceptualization of the mother stuck around even as these same groups of immigrants became more upwardly mobile. And then so when the cultural shift starts happening where, um, you know, the first generation immigrants, you know, yield the generation born to immigrants and they're more upwardly mobile and they're more educated and they're wealthier. Um, But all of that old worry and old concern and old struggle never really goes away. Uh And then it just has a hard time adapting as each generation successively goes on, which I thought was really fascinating. Uh I never really thought about it like that, but that's one of the biggest things I guess that everyone does um, in their own parent child dynamics is just, uh, you never really realize how much the generations before you impact your experience Uh until you start kind of uncovering where all of your parents' neuroses come from and where did their parents' neuroses come from. Like everyone has these things just woven into the fabric of their being. And um, I think it's important for us to to investigate them. Uh, It's fascinating. I I was also going to say, I think it's funny that that is definitely true of uh, Rebecca's mother in the uh, t- TV show. Um, <laughs> that's her good name in the TV show. Um, but also, she also is a little bit titillated by her daughter's life, and she is a wants to be a little bit of a show off when she gets a chance to. Oh yeah, like I love like there was that scene where they're at uh, some wedding or something, and she was like, "And I'm going to dance." You know how I pick up choreo. He says, "You know how fast I pick up choreo." I'm glad you mentioned <laughs> that. I love that line, and that is really fun too. Like I really do enjoy that they don't make it a one note character where they very much could have. And and everyone is at at moments uh, um, hard to bear, but then also fun, but then also a show off, uh-huh. but then also ashamed. I mean, every, everyone has these moments. We also see that Naomi has some really tender and revealing moments with her daughter and the story of their relationship unfolds in a really satisfying way. And she is funny mm-hmm. when it comes right down to it. She is a person who knows that she's a lot. Mm-hmm. And she kind of revels in it. So anyway, it's a great character, a great show. If you've not seen it, give it a watch. Are you using the lotion that I sent you? If you're not going to use it, I'll return it to the store. Number six. Is that me? That's my book? That's a black sheep? What? The, please, my heart. Please, this is my, my book from my makeup. It's called Black Sheep and Little Bird. Please, may you read it? Yeah. Please, may you read it? Yeah, I can read it for you, Jackie. All the sheep in Maguvo were white, but Abel was a black sheep. Do you know what's a black sheep? No. It's like when you're different to everyone else. Like me, I look different from you in America? Yeah. And the boys? Yeah, but it's not so much how you look. It's special, like, like what's inside. That's what makes you different. See? It's who you really are. Inside. 
soul. My next pick is not a mother by blood, but she is the true mother of a child named Chappie. This is Yolandi, the gangster from the 2015 Neil Blomkamp film called Chappie. Um, okay, now I know I've seen this film, but it's been a while. It's it's not Yolandi Visser, is it? Wait. Yeah, the dot the from day. From Dan I do not remember the plot oh, of this. Oh, really? Well, I mean, like, okay, I remember they were in it, right? Okay, no, so tell me about this. Okay, so, well, I, I guess the first thing to say to get our bearings that uh, this is the same guy who made District 9 and Elysium, and smart people love District 9 for sure, but for some reason, I remember people being lukewarm about Chappie, and I don't know why, because I thought this was a very, very good, sweet story um, and some cool robot stuff. Oh, I mean, and Will is a sucker for robot stuff. Yeah, so. but also as they go, it's a good one. Um, <laughs> You're like, no, don't dismiss this, Rebecca. No, so, so get, okay. I'll, so I'll tell you the premise, and then I want to talk about Yolandi. So this takes place in a fictional, like, other present or near future Johannesburg, South Africa, where some scientists are developing AI robots that can supplant the overwhelmed police force. And these two likable gangsters, this is Yolandi and her boyfriend Ninja, Ninja kidnap <laughs> a scientist and, and, and the scientist prototype robot named Chappie, hoping to use the robot for a heist that will let them pay back a scumbag loan shark. But as the scientist explains, Chappie is special, and when they boot him up, he is a fresh, credulous child. And the male gangster, uh, Ninja, likes Chappie, but is intent on training him to pull off that robbery, while the female gangster, Yolandi, loves him and wants to protect him. Now, I think the main thing you would remember about this movie is probably the aesthetic. Do, do you remember that? Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Uh, um, it. I mean, so I don't really know a whole lot about South African street culture, but I know that it is very stylized, right? Like they, they definitely have their own sort of thriving um, arts and music scene that's all born out of the class struggle. If I, re- well, if that I remember would, that correctly. That would make a lot of sense because for the movie specifically, they built it around this real hip hop group called, I think it's Die Antwood or D Antwood. Yeah, yeah D Um And um, it's, which is comprised of the actual band members, Ninja and Yolandi. That's their real names. And basically the movie's premise is what if D Antwood adopted a robot? And so the whole look. And if you know them, if you've seen interviews with them, it doesn't seem very far-fetched because they seem like the kind of people who could stumble into just robot adoption. What if we get him to program this bad boy to fight for us? Like indestructible robot gangster number one, sorry. Mommy. Mommy. We need to keep a gangster. We need to keep a Well, the look of the whole movie is based on their aesthetic, um, which they call something called Zeph. And I've heard them say before, like, it's ugly, but it's cool. And they don't care what anybody thinks. Like, those two, they wear, like, beat-up hip-hop clothes, uh, and they have intentionally bad haircuts. It's like a dirty hip-hop future, or it's like... um. Batman Forever, but dirty, like day glow, but like street. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's sort of sort of strange. So the whole movie sort of has this feel and it sort of makes you feel like it's a near future or like just slightly removed from the present. So I thought Yolandi was such a good mother because she isn't perfect, 
but she was the best mother that could have shown up for Chappie. (laughs) (laughs) So because of who she is, she can teach him the lesson that it doesn't matter what you're like on the outside. It's who you are on the inside. And so he learns to love his self and he learns that he is important and not just a tool because of what she's telling him. And that is something we need to teach all robots. (laughs) That's right. Well, it's really sweet because he is a robot and she had no reason to be nurturing, like no obligation at all. In fact, it was counter to their plan. She just wanted to. And without giving anything away, when things get bad, you know, Chappie's able to return the favor because of stuff she's taught him. So I guess the lesson here is just that We focus on blood ties a lot, and they are important, and they often go hand-in-hand with this, but the connections you decide to make and nurture, whether you're related or not, are what really matter. Well said. Thing inside. See, that's what Mommy loves. Come, Mommy loves you. Number five. At number five... I give you the matriarch of the Bluth family, Lucille Bluth, from the early oddies show Arrested Development, which was rebooted and resolved as a Netflix original series in 2019. If you're saying I play favorites, you're wrong. I love all my children equally. I don't care for Joe. Oh, hello, Buster. Here's a candy bar. No, I'm withholding it. Okay. For some reason, I kind of feel like she and... Uh, your previous one, the 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 bunch Naomi. mother, are kind of kind of like a a, a set. To they, me. they they kind of are inter- You know, I don't know. They 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 have some similarities, but then also some key differences yeah. that I, I I don't know. Like I I guess with Lucille, um, and I'm going to talk about her more. Like a lot of people who are listening, you have probably watched Arrested Development, or you are at least familiar with the memes because you have definitely seen memes of Jessica Walter as Lucille Bluth. Um, even if you've not seen the series. What I love about her as a character, just period, is that she is the person in the room who is always the most negative, but the most incisive. So she's like the person you want to gossip with, but then you are terrified that she's going to be gossiping about you later. And whatever (laughs) she's going to say is going to cut to the quick, of course, because she's just like so razor sharp like that. But you know, he thinks you're completely irresponsible. A stay in bed mom. Probably because you don't work and you're lazy. I just find this to be a really compelling character because I feel like we don't have that many female characters or mother characters who aren't supposed to be great people, Uh but like who aren't punished in the script for being a bad mother or for being a bad person. Um, I just feel like when it comes to like male character representation, we've had tons of those kind of like antiheroes, scumbags, likable scumbags, scalawags, like all of those guys, like you're not really supposed to like, they're not great people, but they wind up being this wonderfully complex character. And then all of a sudden you get, I mean, you know, you get someone with all of their flaws on display that is likable in spite of it. And I think that's the deal with Lucille Bluth. There really haven't been that many characters for women, and especially who are mothers. Not very many interesting mother characters. Usually that's just like a shorthand for like the home for the hero to react against. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, mom's either somebody who messed you up and then now you have a thing. 
<laughs> or um, she inspired you and now you want yeah. to protect your home or, or just something like that. And I just feel like uh, Lucille is someone who somehow has risen above the label of mother, despite the fact that she embraces it and poorly. And it's uh-huh. a key part of her identity. And yet it's got nothing to do with what makes her interesting <laughs> or fun. I also feel like often when they do that with a character who's more of an anti-hero, they really, I don't know, they try to make them too cool. Like they try to make them, yeah. like they just try too hard. Yeah, I yeah. don't even know how to explain that. Except like in, in her case, I feel that Lucille Bluth is the rare, mean mother character who isn't really a villain, even though she's horrible. Like I tell you. Yeah, I think the way they don't try too hard with her is because she's like rich and sorry. And so it's like, she's incisive, but that's what that thing she's going to put effort into. She's not going to do anything. She's just like in her parlor at her house, just saying like wicked, hilarious stuff. Yeah. And so. (laughs) Yeah, there's, there's absolutely no venom there, even though like, you know, it's, it's everything she says is like, is completely horrible. And she treats her children relatively poorly. I love there was that scene. I think it was when they brought it back to Netflix for the first time where you're talking about how she's so fun to gossip with. The son that she has, the really too close relationship with Buster, um, they're sitting and they're hearing some people talking and somebody says something's a hot mess and they both look at each other and mouth the words hot uh, mess. Like they can't <laughs> wait to start saying want, that in conversation. It's so funny. Oh, we're going to say that. That's great. I do, I do love that. I think that's a great moment in the series and a great moment for just for who both of them is. And um, despite our best efforts, you know, we, we still want to be on our mother's good side, even if your mother is mostly just a really shrewd and, and uh, horribly cutting, hilarious insult lady. But it's just like the earth itself. It's a primal force. The earth will happily bury you in a cloud of super bees. You know, it's, it, it's okay. Maybe we, maybe we don't need to have a warm and snuggly mother to have an excellent mother. And I will say too here, it's funny. I think the, the theme we keep returning to this, I will say Rebecca and I both love our mothers for the record. It's just funny. I think we are both so grossed out by romanticizing things too much. It, yeah. it almost takes away from like real love for something. Yeah. I'm, I'm definitely not a, an over, like I'm not into over sentimentality. Yeah. And I also don't think that just because someone is your mother that you owe them love. You know what I mean? Like there are tons of parents, fathers too. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, I really do kind of bristle against those narratives that just say like, that's the most important relationship on your life. No, no relation. No, you Go your own way and do what's best for you. And don't worry about what anybody in any family or any <laughs> societal structure tells you you need to be doing. But yeah, like it, it is a, uh, I, I just think and it's something real. It's a relationship that's real because you chose, you chose or you didn't choose for it to be not, not yeah. because of something uh, innate and endemic to your family. Correct. And no one owes anybody love. Love is always conditional or should be unconditional love is just something that abusive people have invented in order to maintain their (laughs) abuse. Love is always conditional because you can choose to love someone from afar. But if you love someone who is, I don't know, releasing hives of super bees onto the earth for fun, 
that's just not why. Like, I love you unconditionally. Why? Why do you why? Do, why? you release those super beans? Exactly. Mom. Like, you know, like, I don't approve of your choices, and I will have some distance from you. And that is what's healthiest. So I'm just telling everybody, just be healthy. <laughs> just be healthy. What's good for you? Do what's good for you. Also, love your mother if she's good. I hope you have a good one. Plater platter. I don't understand the question, and I won't respond to it. Number four. I have not destroyed him. I do not have to destroy because I do not fear. I will bring order and peace to the world. This is all my fault. Our next mother is a very strict parent. She only has one rule. Protect all humans from mutants. <laughs> okay. This yes. is a gigantic manufacturing robot known in the X-Men comics as Master Mold. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that sounds about right okay. for, for Will's list. All right. I promise I have kind of one normal mother coming up, kind of. But I like this one, so I'm going to do it. Uh, you know what? That's fine. It's just do. That's what this podcast okay. is for. All right, so I know X-Men fans will know the name Master Mold, but even if you don't, I know you're probably familiar with uh, the Sentinels in the X-Men cartoon, and uh, X-Men comics and X-Men cartoon. And maybe your mind can flash to the intro for the old X-Men cartoon where Rogue is punching that gigantic robot. That's a Sentinel. Yeah, they're annoying in video games because you have to hit them a lot. <laughs> yes. And they you don't have even to tap hurt y you. twice and fly up and Yeah, and like they don't even necessarily hurt you. It's just like I'm just going to stand <laughs> a little while standing here punching this thing. Okay, so uh for at least a good portion of the comics, the Sentinels are made from a colossal robot named Master Mold that sits imperiously in a chair in a space shuttle-sized warehouse. They don't explicitly state a gender, but it looks like a bigger version of the Sentinels. It's got an open-faced helmet and an old Iron Man-looking underpants armor, and Sentinels keep producing out of a hatch in its chest. Okay. Uh, okay, so so I picked this one, obviously, because it's just a great bonkers 60s sci-fi idea, but also there's a great story. Master Mold was created by Dr. Bolivar Trask, out of fear that mutants would one day come to dominate the world and enslave humans. So, jumping to conclusions some. <laughs> I'll um, say. He, he said, I will build a gargantuan robot-making robot. Uh, but there was a catch. He programmed Master Mold to protect humans from mutants. So, Master Mold makes like a bazillion sentinels, and then he is like, I will not attack mutants. Mutants are human. Therefore, I must stop humans from harming themselves. <laughs> <laughs> well, can't argue with this logic there. And he says, therefore, I will replace the brains of all world leaders with robot brains. Okay. It will be a vast improvement. I can't, I, I can't say I disagree with his agenda so far. <laughs> Master Mold, this new Sentinel won't obey my orders. It's defective. It is not defective. I am giving the orders now. And... So I think this just is a tidy way to to give us the lesson that um, you really need to think through, one, you really need to think through whether you need a giant robot factory, but also um, <laughs> children carry forward the programming of their parents for good or ill. Uh, sometimes it's helpful. Sometimes you can overcome your programming. Sometimes you interpret your programming differently. 
but Master Mold can help us see the awesome responsibility of parenthood and motherhood. And I love a giant robot. No, you misunderstood. Number three. This next patient is interesting. The delusional architecture is fairly unique. Good morning, Dr. Silberman. How's the knee? Now, what if you knew that a neural network known as Skynet was going to wage war with all humanity, but that your son was destined to be the leader of the human resistance? You'd probably just morph into the bat that you were always meant to be, and that would make you Sarah Connor from the Terminator franchise. <laughs> All right. Um, there is not... Okay, so, like, I am not completely up on everything that's happened in the Terminator franchise, right? Because I've not seen everything. And I know they had, like, the show. And then and there was the one movie that was not very good and that didn't have her in it. There was the Christian Bale one. Was that that one that we saw? Well, that what we was did see one, that one. What was the one? Was that the one where they put a USB drive on, like, yes. in a motorcycle? Yes, it conveniently a had thumb a, drive. It had a universal interface that you could override. Conveniently. Yeah, which was very convenient because at the time, I think we were only using USB drives to put like our school papers on. That's right. Yes, <laughs> and also maybe as a gag, I remember there was a shot where they panned across all the robots that are set up like with uh, turrets and stuff. And one of them had like, um, like a mean guy do rag on, which like Pirates of the Caribbean. I was like, what's happening in this movie? I think what's happening in this movie is probably a good summary for us, for some <laughs> of the middling fare of the Terminator franchise. But let's focus on the good ones and the, especially the early stories because Linda Hamilton as a, Young Sarah Connor is one of my favorite characters in all of like film, like seriously. Oh, and we and we haven't seen the new one that is all no, about her. No, we need to. I'm busy, okay? <laughs> but you know what? I'm actually a little scared because I feel like I feel like they might mess it up and I don't want it to be bad. Just the same way that they messed up the uh, I've heard it's a pretty good I heard it's a pretty good bookend to uh T2, so it's okay. definitely in that spirit. So. Well, that's good cuz like I thought that you know, like we watched the new Halloween movie with Jamie Lee Curtis that yeah. they made. I felt like that was like this big, weird hand-wringing metaphor about how no one's listening to boomers anymore. <laughs> and then so like they need to like, like, well, you should have listened to me. I was right all along. And, you know, Michael Myers can't blah, blah, blah. But just a, a little bit of a reminder, um, we do see Sarah Connor in the first Terminator film from 1984, and then in Terminator 2 Judgment Day, which was from 1991. And a like this is a, a really good description in Wikipedia, which I feel was very lovingly written for a Wikipedia article. The character develops from a timid damsel in distress in the first film to a wanted fugitive committing acts of terrorism, a hardened warrior and mother who sacrificed everything for her son's future and is on the verge of losing touch with her own humanity. Yeah, she she <laughs> ran, she Terminator ran so Furiosa could walk, could, or exactly. the other way around. What I, exactly. Whatever you say. And so like in my mind, I've just got the, the vision of Sarah Connor that was really, it really did make an impression on me as soon as I saw it, like when I was young. 
was at the beginning of Terminator 2 Judgment Day. If you'll remember, she was institutionalized with what they claim was like schizoaffective disorder Uh because she kept talking about Skynet and Terminators and everything. (laughs) I mean, you know, again, you understand how it would happen to the character, but in this fictional universe... Just tell them how many words you can type a minute. It's like, "Mm, Terminators, Terminators. And she she can't help it. So like, uh, you know, you see why it happens, but then also, uh, also this is like a great metaphor for not being taken seriously, uh-huh. blah, blah, blah. Um, okay, so we see her doing angry chin-ups in her room. Uh-huh. And this is someone with a singular focus and a massive chip on her shoulder. And I remember really responding to this character when I was young. Like, um, especially because I, I remember this being one that, you know, you would rent on video sometimes. Like, uh-huh. so we would watch it on video or whatever. I remember being about 12 or 13 and like listening to Pantera on my Walkman and thinking that I could do enough push-ups to get arms like Linda Hamilton. <laughs> um, but really, I just remember responding to the character's disdain for the system and then this intense, relentless focus on her goal. She was trying to get out of that institution and go get her son because of Terminators, uh-huh. but also because she was a good mother, okay? And she knew that there was something important. The future was riding on her actions. And anyway, I just think we should uh, take a moment to appreciate Sarah Connor and what she has done for humanity. Well, you did end up getting those aviator glasses. I did get it. I did get You do get, have a ponytail. Uh, it's all true. And we do have a pull-up bar. I can't. I still can't do chin-ups. So I'm too bottom-heavy. It's just not going to work. It's just not going to work in this body. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. But I can do push-ups pretty good now. And I am a robot. <laughs> Broke my arm. There are 215 bones in the human body. That's one. Number two. This is the mother of a young girl and a young boy, the wife of a devoted husband, and she shares her home with the beloved uncle and her own mother. This is the glamorous Morticia Adams. Yay! This is, of course, the mother of the Adams family who first appeared in the Adams Family comic strip, but is best known from the 60s sitcom and the 90s movies, and they recently made a new animated Adams Family movie. I, I know Rebecca loves her because she loves all the vampire hostess ladies, but before I talk about her as a mother, what would you say you like the most about her look? Why is Morticia cool? Morticia is cool because she is graceful. Okay. Be- because she is someone who is completely comfortable in her own skin and living her own life and this is especially true if you watch the old series because uh-huh. every episode of every show revolves around someone in the community thinking the Adamses are wacky but she's waltzing around in her beautiful gown and she does not care what you think and that is cool yeah oh yeah I, I think that I think it was re- really really nicely and if we were talking about how she looks you're talking about the um the gown or whatever. She does have that narrow black dress with the train and she's sort of willowy. Her daughter in the TV show says that Morticia applies baking powder to her face instead of makeup. And we see her beguiling her husband with French words all the time. And she enjoys cutting the buds off of roses. But the thing about Morticia is she's not just weird. Motherhood and family are actually really important to her and a big part of her character. She just has a very different perspective than the regular family. And what I think makes her a particularly good mother is that she lets her children be who they want to be, whether she approves or not. What is it you're reading, darling? How to Become an Eagle Scout. Oh, 
Is that about an eagle who carries off a scout? <laughs> Don't think so. Well, read what you please, dear. And a couple of points here that I think are pretty funny. So the main kids, in this case, Wednesday and Pugsley, she puts no pressure on them. But just by being cool and glamorous and fun, they want to be like her and Gomez. So it's not like they were like teaching her, teaching them, you got to be creepy. And yeah. You better, they it's just, not like, I'm going to put this Ramones onesie on my kid and he <laughs> loves music. That's his personality because it's mine. Like, no, they're just... They They're just, just of yeah, the family. The, the family is appealing. Great and thus, house. Thus they want to be like them. I get it. Yeah, yes. and I think that's true in real life too. When I think about the ways you and I are like our parents, um, I think that makes sense because the stuff we do like them um, are things that I felt like I had no pressure to do. Like I think probably the music stuff in both of our cases, yeah. we were not pressured at all, but just no. wanted to do it. No, my dad was pressured a lot as a kid to play music and he played it all throughout his like young adulthood. And I was never, it was, yeah, it was something that I came to completely on my own. Yeah. And, and in my house, it was just the background all the time was dad playing guitar and the band stuff. And he, I, he may have asked me, twice casually if I was interested at all and I said no and then when I was like 12 I was just watching him one day and be like yeah I want to do that I like that music I could do that so I was I like just show me how to do that and that was and then he didn't put any pressure on me but then it was off to the races and we had to buy a guitar and we had to buy the amps and then you're going to play trumpet because that's the best thing you get all the good parts and don't let them talk you into a clarinet and so <laughs> please no don't <laughs> so I think that's true and then I was going to say I think it works the other way too um one of my favorite parts of the Adams Family movie in the 90s is when something is wrong in their family, so their new baby turns into this bright, cherubic, blonde, curly-headed baby that Morticia is horrified by. But instead of being disgusted with the baby, she tries to do what it would want and tries to make it happy. So there's that great scene where she's mournfully reading the cat in the hat to it because she loves the baby, even though she doesn't understand it at all. That's good parenting. And, honoring your child. Yeah. And and it was just great because, you know, and, and then the baby doesn't stay that way forever, perhaps because she didn't push it. <laughs> and so I just think that was a hilarious, great lesson about uh, parenthood. Like just a, a light hand. It, it, you know, if it's if it's a good thing, they'll find it. And, of course, the great foundation of their good parenting is the really good relationship between Morticia and Gomez. Sure, yeah. they actually do love and respect each other. And that was why they were supposed to be the morbid take on the American suburban family whose parents did not love each other <laughs> or, or respect each other. So, hey I love Morticia. We looked. Then we saw him step in on the mat. We looked. And we saw him. Cat in the hat. Honorable mentions. There were so many honorable mentions that I'm just going to rattle them off, okay? Do it. Okay. Uh, Pamela Voorhees, who was our number one slasher, yes. but she obviously would have been picked for here. We could do a Pamela Voorhees podcast. We should. Uh, Faye Dunaway as Joan Crawford. Uh, <laughs> Tony Collette in Hereditary. Oh, yeah. Uh, I want to watch that movie again. Uh, Mrs. Garrett from The Facts of Life. Don't worry about it. Um, I was going to do Loxana Troy, but I was like, I just can't. I just can't. I looked, I opened <laughs> yeah. up the Wikipedia, the wiki article, and I'm like, I just, I can't. Oh, but so I almost good. did it for you, but I didn't. Oh. Uh, Agnes Skinner from The Simpsons and Colleen Donaghy from 30 Rock. Oh, that's great. Those were mine. 
Um, I was going to say Granny Goodness, who's the lieutenant to Darkseid. It was like a grandma army general. She's hilarious. That sounds um, great. Mama, the uh, bug-like ghost from the movie Mama. Yeah, we already talked about her, didn't we? I don't know. We talked about her in the ghost, I think. But yeah, no, I thought about her too. Yeah. She's a good one. Um, the, it was a mother superior from the, the, the head nun from the Blues Brothers. Oh, yeah. Um, I would say the mother death claw from uh, New Vegas. <laughs> don't want to um, mess with her. Uh, uh, shout out to Bathsheba. Okay. Um, okay. And then uh, Queen Marlena from He-Man. I love Queen Marlena. She was a good mother, but she we was. talked about He-Man enough in our lives. Okay. For right now. All right. So who's the number one mom who can really put it on their mug? Number one. Hi, Joe. Oh, oh what do we have here? We're doing pizza kits today. Pizza kits? All the ingredients <laughs> in one. You're kidding. This is it. It's organic. It's a great activity for kids. Oh, I've got two boys at home who go wild for this. How old? Oh, who knows? The boys eat a lot. You know that. Yeah. And that way, you know, you got one for each boy. Two? At least. All right. And if you want to just be safe, I'd take three, you know. Why not? Therefore, you have them for another day. It's a very special night. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Well, that's one. It's a family night. Family nights are special. I'll take one more. You should, one for the road. Okay, thank you. You enjoy your night. Organic, huh? It's good for I you. love that. <laughs> Okay, it's a deep cut, and please consider this my plea for you to watch this show. The number one mother, in my eyes, is none other than Christine Baskets from the comedy drama Baskets. Oh, so good. That aired from 2016 to 2019 and is now available on Hulu. You have no excuse. You must watch it. I mean... The, I, one of the best TV modern TV characters. I mean, yes, and, and, and so funny, so good, so good. And so I'll I will preface this by saying this is a show for comedy nerds and people who like subtle humor. So if that's not your zhuzh, you probably won't like it. If you're looking for a belly laugh, it's not that kind of experience until you're well into the show, and then you'll get there. Right? It, it's a, it's a slow burn, right? But I just want to rave over this show and for this amazing depiction of motherhood. It's just a great character all around. Okay, so Baskets is the show about a struggling 40-something named Chip Baskets, uh, played by Zach Galifianakis, who has recently come back to Bakersfield, California, after a failed attempt to be a French clown at a French clowning school. Uh-huh. Okay, this show was written as a vehicle for him. But it's actually just an excellent ensemble drama because everyone on the show is just so good. Which brings me to Christine. Okay, so Christine Baskets is like a typical suburban mom, loves Costco, okay, (laughs) loves Ronald Reagan, has a cat named Ronald Reagan. Curly fries! (laughs) Loves, Loves curly fries, okay? Christine Baskets is played by Louis Anderson, who you may know or remember as just like a middle-of-the-road game show type comic from the 90s who had like a show, who's been on shows, who's been in films. You know, he's been in, uh, he was in Coming to America and then the the sequel too. Mm-hmm. But I mean, just somebody that, again, you probably remember him from his stint as host on like Family Feud. And he did have a really well-written cartoon in the 90s, Life with Louie. 
And then also, uh, he was like, I think he's like one of those comedians, comedians. Like he has, he's a really, really sharp uh, conversationalist. Yeah. And apparently an incredible uh, actor, just period. Because Louis Anderson plays Christine Baskets. And, you know, he, it's, it's like a gender blind casting, but it's like not done for laughs at all. Like, he's you just know what straight I mean? up trying to play his own mom. Yes. I mean, it's just, it's like, he's just dead. I mean, I say serious. It's not serious because it's funny, but he is like dead serious as her. And like, so I can't think of a time. And you forget, you forget it, Tim. You really do. See, so, okay. Like, I, I know that as society evolves, we do have different ideas about gender and gender presentation and uh, so forth. But it's, it's historically been the case that a men like a, a man embodying a woman, if it's it's at least partially done for humor in a lot of you know in a lot of comedy tropes, because like ha ha, look, The Rock is wearing pantyhose, like that's funny, like he he's a lady, uh-huh. and that's just been something that's been part of like comedy forever, and so it's really interesting that this is a show for comedy nerds, and you're like oh here's a well known comedian who is male as far as we know. Um, who identifies as male, playing a female character completely straight-faced and completely without any sort of sense of comedy in that in that adaptation. And he melts so effortlessly into the role. And I just can't even tell you how... I, I feel like they started out thinking that it was a funny and brilliant kind of like little idea and said, like, what do you think about it, Louis? And then they just got him in there and just he took to the role like a fish to water and it was so good that the show just kind of evolved into this wonderful show where christine is like the emotional center of it and if we've been in bakersfield for six generations where is everybody they're gone honey we're full of diseases we got cancer we got whooping cough we got diabetes we got it all rosacea how do you spell that? R O R S. There's a silent something in there. Oh, oh. Why would anyone throw out all these? So the character of Christine Baskets. This is a well-meaning mother who doesn't understand why her children struggle the way that they do, and someone who has a great deal of like trauma and heartbreak in her past, but in spite of that, just radiates this very gentle positivity and love. And I picked her as the number one mother because I just feel like she's really shown as someone who's doing her best to break generational cycles. She wasn't treated well in her home life and in her marriage but then now is wanting and struggling to to make things better for her kids, even though her kids should be, quote, grown by now. Uh-huh. You never stop wanting that for your kids, and you never stop trying to help them get there. So in the black pit where my heart is supposed to be, I developed such a tenderness for this character. And like, I think I've said before, like, I think Hank Hill is like the uber dad in television Uh characters. I feel like Christine Baskets is the uber mother. And um, on my first watch of the series, I was like uncomfortable because I just didn't want anything bad to happen to her. 
Like, I just didn't know what she was like. And let me just tell you, if you watch and you start feeling that way, she has a bit of plot armor, okay? Don't worry about it. They figured out really fast that Christine was, like, where it's at on the show. And um, I just think that's fascinating, too, for Louis Anderson's sake, that just sometimes you don't get the right form. You don't get the right vehicle for your talent all the time. Yeah. And he had to wait how long? You know, he's in his 60s now? Yeah, and he's just... Ch- just- swimming in Emmys now. Yeah. Like sometimes maybe you haven't found the right thing for you to flourish in. And I just, I really kind of take that to heart too, because a lot of us struggle with the forms that we've been given to grow. (laughs) And maybe that next thing that's perfect for you is out there. But um, I mean, Christine is just an amazing character because like she can be stubborn, haughty and which is very funny meddlesome oh remember that at, at whatever i've tried to explain somebody to her when she uh chips old french girlfriend comes over she tries to impress her by taking her to costco because they have everything and then every item in the store she's uh she's she'll say a thing like but they don't have this in france and it's <laughs> so funny <laughs> and i just i just love love this character i love the show it's i mean it's it's a it's a really fun show and um i just really feel like you should give it a try because like my heart is just like melting at the memory of Christine Baskets. I love Christine Baskets, <laughs> the best mother character ever on television, in my opinion. Plenty of choices. Just made my weekly run to Costco. Tropical mango, dragon fruit, strawberry mango fever. That's brand new. Okay, I uh, well, I I mean, this is going to be a great Mother's Day for, <laughs> for all the mothers we talked about. Um, I feel like we said a lot of stuff about releasing killer bees um, related yeah. to mothers. We um, I think we did a lot of reassurancing. Reassurancing that's not a word. We did a lot of reassuring that all you the know, different types of relationships you can have are right. are valid. They and are possible valid. And Va- it's your valid. Choice and, and and your journey is your journey and. You know, your your mother plays a role in it, but she does not define you. But if you were lucky enough to have a good mother, then I hope that you cherish her. And also, I'm going to remind everybody, it's it's the second Sunday in May. I always forget, so that's your heads up. So it's the, it's the ninth this year, I think. Okay. Okay, so there you go. You'll remind me. Uh, yes. I, yes, I will. Yes, I will. And then pretty soon after that, we'll be fully vaccinated. So oh, that's true. We'll go see our mothers at some point. Just not on Mother's Day. <laughs> Happy Mother's Day, moms. Speaking of things uh, coming up, I, we had just a couple of notes about what we have planned for the rest of the year and longer term for the podcast. I think it was actually pretty brief, but I was going to go ahead and mention it. Um, we are probably going to take some time off in the summer to really buckle down on getting a uh, legit season three of Curdle Holler out. And we've already done some really good story planning for it. And it's going to be really good. We're really happy with, with how that's going. It'll be a full season. Um, and, and we're going to start airing it actually at the beginning of spooky season. We're going to do it like, you know, one episode at a time. And I, we don't have a firm date on that yet, but we're not going to wait all the way till Halloween yeah, this year. Yeah. And so, uh, but we, you know, we still got, uh, th- this show will run, at least we'll have like, probably like four more episodes or so. Something oh, if, like that. I think we said we were at least going to go to 40 
Okay, four. okay. So, but so yeah, okay, but six more episodes at least. Or, yes, at least, and you know, again, Curdle Holler is going to be coming at you very early. Yes, because spooky season starts in August. Okay. That's <laughs> technically, right. technically, and then when we're off, we'll also be uh, plugged in on social media, and we can we'll, we can share some stuff that we're working on. And then when we come back after Curl Holler, we'll have uh, sort of a new phase for the show, and we'll we'll talk to you a little bit more about some of the things we're thinking about. Yeah, we, we're gonna do something new. Yeah, it'll be cool though. We've we've we we got some good ideas. I think we're evolving. But anyway, but don't 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 abandon us. Don't abandon us. Yeah, we still got tons of show left. Still still stay plugged in. Still talk to us. And Rebecca, where can people talk to us? And 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 if you're listening, listen to where she says because I do want to talk to you. I, I feel like <laughs> there are more people who could be talking to us on Twitter. I feel like it. You can okay? find us on Twitter at Wizards NS Pod. What? What was that? Wizards NS Pod. Pod. Okay, you could type it into your phone right now if you wanted to. <laughs> you you could do that. NS Pod. Listen, Wizards NS Pod. That's a good name. It is. Will is always. Want we please play with him on Twitter? Yeah, he needs okay. more friends on there. All right. Okay, and then or just go to the wizardsnightshirt.com and listen to our old stuff. There's tons of it. Okay, uh, we'll see you next week when we call forth new champions. The legends they tell of a hero facing down fears and cutting down foes. There's no resemblance to what you. Feel humble and few, but you've waited through tedious waves in a world gray and flat. You're still here.